This episode is sponsored by Grow Therapy. Grow Therapy was founded on the belief that quality mental health care should be accessible. It makes finding an in-network therapist easy. Go to growtherapy.com to find your match and let insurance pay for your therapy. Welcome to a place where you'll leave feeling whole. The Counseling Podcast brings at-home counseling right to you, focusing on self-care, self-expression, and breaking down barriers. Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes bring over 20 years of combined experience and a new sense of style to the word counseling. The two use humor and lighthearted conversation to explore these deeper feelings. Let's take the stigma away from counseling together. Hello and welcome to the Counseling Podcast. I'm Dr. Jacqueline. And I'm Dr. Stokes. And today we have a special guest, therapist Natasha Daniels, and she's going to share her expertise on childhood OCD. Thank you for being here, Natasha. Can you share more about yourself with our listeners and let them know how they can find you? Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I am a child anxiety and OCD therapist. I've been doing this for over 20 years, feeling kind of old. I also am raising three kids with anxiety and OCD, so I always like to weave that in because I feel like I wear both hats, um, you know, parentally and as a clinician. And I provide online resources for parents who are raising kids with anxiety and OCD. So I do that online through podcasts and online courses and um, a membership to support parents. Great. And um, any websites you want people to find you on? Uh, My main hub, you can find me at atparentingsurvival.com. And from there, you can find all of those resources. Perfect. So you said you um, obviously focus on childhood OCD, and that's what you're seeing mostly in your practice? Yeah, I closed my practice last year to focus on online resources, but that's what I've been doing in my private practice as well. Okay. And so for the listeners listening and who are dealing with OCD, with family members themselves, or how do you specifically with children, how do you provide those resources and and what do you talk about with them to kind of get them to be more aware of things they can do for themselves? You know, ironically, a lot of it is providing the education and support to the parents because you're in the thick of things as a parent. And with OCD, it's missed. I mean, it's missed parentally. It's missed, you know, therapeutically. It's missed so much. And it's not until kids are typically on fire that they start to get some professional help. And it's very counterintuitive how you parent a child with OCD. I think it's more intuitive with anxiety or depression or other issues, but with OCD, it's it's very counterintuitive. And so I start with the educational piece with the parent so that they can identify it and then they know the ways to approach it at home. I, I am so glad that you mentioned that OCD in kids is is missed. I, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you, Natasha, I do a lot of work with adolescents, not young kids too often, but adolescents. And I've noticed I'll get adolescents who come in the door and sometimes it'll even take me a little while to really see how the OCD manifests in young people. So give our listeners kind of an overview of what OCD might look like in a young person. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times, unfortunately, we have that stereotype in our head of somebody is, you know, excessively cleaning or they're excessively organizing and our kids aren't going to always look like that. In fact, it's really not the predominant manifestation that I see in young kids with OCD. And I think it's important for people to know 
that OCD is just about having an intrusive thought or feeling or image that gets stuck in your head and then the need to do something or avoid something to get that brief relief that we call compulsions. And that's the framework of OCD, but then you can plug and play any theme in there and that's where it gets very gray because a lot of kids when they're little, and I didn't want to say little, a lot of people in general, but I see this a lot. I saw this a lot in my therapy practice. We'll get things like, and we, of course we name them, you know, we just, there's subtypes of OCD, but OCD is OCD, but a lot of kids will get moral OCD where they have an intrusive thought they're a bad person. And then their compulsion isn't to hand wash necessarily. It might be to confess to the parent, mom, I thought I was going to say the F word or mom, I think I thought you were fat or mom, I think I cheated on my test yesterday. And that's not on a lot of people's radar as OCD. They'll just be like, why is my child constantly telling me the bad things they may or may not have done? So that's just an example of one theme. So important, right? And I, I think it's really it's 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 really important to note, as you mentioned, that you can plug in any kind of theme, right? And I think for adults, we do, as you noted, we have these kind of tra- traditional, conventional ways of looking at OCD, and oftentimes it sounds like for young people, it may just come off as peculiar, odd behavior when in actuality there is this underlying condition that's taking place. Yeah. And it shows up in different ways, right? Because it might show up in their difficulty to do activities or chores around the house or to go to school. You see a lot of school refusal or um, to do homework because they have to read and reread or write and rewrite. And so we see some avoidance or some misdiagnosis of a learning issue because they have compulsive behavior. So it can really get into all of those areas. And it has to be so difficult for the parent to watch their child in distress and to feel like they have to do something and not really know how to help them. And I know you said you work a lot with the parents, obviously, to kind of probably role model certain behavior. So do you find that parents sometimes enable that behavior because they don't want their child to be in distress and they think they're doing better if they kind of say, okay, let me just let them do these compulsions or the obsessive thoughts because I don't really want to disturb what they're going through? Totally. I mean, it's intuitive to help our kids. And I get this on a parental level that and I'll give you just a concrete example, you know, and I always weep in my own personal experience because that's what I do. But my youngest daughter has sensory motor OCD. And so she feels like she has to pee all the time. You know, she feels like her, you know, she's hyper focused on her bladder, which might seem like not a big deal. But when you're doing it like 20, 30 times an hour, um, you really can't do anything else. You can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't travel, you can't be in a car, school's difficult. It really can be very difficult. And initially, and I'm just using this as a concrete example, I'm not stopping her from peeing. You know, if, we, if we're driving, of course, I'll, I'll, I'll pull over and I'll find a bathroom for you. I'm not going to stop. Um, instead of addressing that discomfort and letting her build those skills. Or for a parent whose child is saying, mom, I think I might have said something horrible to my teacher. I don't know. The, the parent is going to process that with them. You know, what did you say? What makes you feel like a bad person? Let's talk about that instead of realizing they're actually talking to OCD. So I think it's a two-part. I think, one, we don't want to see our kids in distress. And so we want to fix it in the intuitive way that says, just do this one thing. Just wipe that down for them or just wash your hands or just take that black speck out of their food. Like, why? What's the big deal? And then they're okay. Um without realizing that they're actually growing the OCD. And even if they do realize it, that's why it's a two-parter, it's hard to watch your kids struggle and know that short-term you can fix it. Long-term, you're going to make it worse, but short-term, you can fix it. That's hard. 
yeah, there's that there's that intuitive pull to to jump in and do what we know how to do as parents, and and it sounds like that's can be counterproductive for OCD. I I, I like your example about the sensory motor based OCD with um, having to go to the bathroom. How might you work with parents and kids to mitigate a situation like that? It's very counterintuitive. And I think that's why that's an education piece because with anxiety, you know, we know like if you're afraid of the dark, let's work towards, you know, desensitizing you and, you know, reframing your thinking so that you can handle the dark. But something like sensory motor OCD is just so foreign. Uh, So the first step is always we want to rule out. So, you know, with my daughter, we went to the doctor, we ruled out any kind of medical origin because when it's showing up physically, we want to do that. Um, And then once that's ruled out, we know that her bladder is working and she's functioning fine. um, And, you know, she has OCD already. So that wasn't really like rocket science. It's helping educate your child. And so the parent having to educate the child on what OCD is, you know, OCD is bossy. And it's going to give you an intrusive feeling in this case, not a thought. We always think OCD, well, not always, but a lot of people think it's fear-based, but sometimes it's feeling-based. So your OCD is giving you this uncomfortable feeling that your bladder is full and it bosses you around to do something. So I'm educating the child first. So the parent has to know this to educate their child. And then once my daughter, weaving in her concrete example here, knew that the more I do what OCD wants, we personify it. So we call it her O cloud. So that helps too. It moves it outside of her identity. Once your O cloud tells you you have to pee, when you pee for O cloud, right? Because now we're personifying it. You just gave O cloud a huge meal. You grew O cloud bigger. He's going to get louder. And so um, how can we build your muscles to push back on O cloud to say, you know what? I know you're making me feel like I have to pee and it is legitimate. I do feel like I have to pee. So it's not like we're, we're devaluing the experience physically. You know, for those kids that feel nauseous, we're not going to devalue that feeling because it is a true feeling. But then we got a journal out and we said, let's make O'Cloud uncomfortable. He was making you uncomfortable. Let's make him uncomfortable. Um, let's start with, and then, you know, you empower your child. So it's 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 child driven because that's going to be more effective. And how long, I said to her, how long can you sit without peeing? You know, and in the beginning when she was in kindergarten, she's in fourth grade now, um, it was five minutes. I can, I can do it for five minutes. So we'd get a journal out, we'd write five minutes, and then we progressively built it up. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and we were at an hour, two hours, worked with the school, um, got a 504 plan, built it up higher to the point now where you know she'll go to bed and she'll say, oh, mom, I really have to go to the bathroom, but I just went. And I'll say, what do you need to tell yourself? And she goes, I have to sit with the discomfort. That's my O cloud. And so I'm just going to go to bed and I'm going to focus on my you know, guided imagery, and I'm going to ignore that feeling. And then ultimately it does go away. That's not the goal. The goal is for me to build my muscle to handle the discomfort, whether it goes away or not. But ultimately it does tend to go away for her. I love that you call it the O cloud. I really like that. Kind of give them that identity and like disconnect them from that to kind of have that control over themselves. Are there other little tips and things that you share like that with the O-Cloud? So we personify it. That's important. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else language-wise that we use. I mean, once you personify it, it really depends on the child. Mm-hmm. So in my house, you know, because we all genetically have anxiety or OCD, we're like an aggressive bunch of people, you know, and so we're like, we're going to crush O-Cloud and I have social anxiety, so I call it paro. So it's a family affair um, and I find that to be very helpful. And I, you know, that's how I 
would help kids in my practice. And that's how I help parents online is making it a family affair, regardless of who has stuff in. We all face our fears. We all face discomfort. Like we can really generalize that. But I do have some kids in my online community and in my practice who are just really sensitive, kind-hearted people. We are as well. But some people get uncomfortable with the aggressive um, approach. And so you can use different analogies as well, you know, where you're like, rebooting, you know, we talk about like we're rebooting up to version 2.0. That's, that's 1.0, you know, that's, um, we're we're not doing 1.0 anymore or my lifeguard is trying to keep me safe. Um, but my lifeguard's like way off. And so I have to train my lifeguard. You can use different analogies that fit your kids. And some kids don't want any of that and they want the science behind it. They want to talk about neurotransmitters and how like you're going down one highway and, um, we talk about that too. The more you do your compulsions, it's like a dirt highway at first. It's like a dirt road at first. And then the more you do your compulsions, you're riding down that road. And now it's a six lane highway when you keep doing it, because the more you go down those neural pathways, you're growing and growing. And so we want to, we want to find a new path and we want to create a new dirt pathway. So you can use lots of different analogies. Yeah. It sounds like a pretty dynamic toolbox. You know, you're, you're, you're doing some personification of OCD. You're helping them externalize the symptoms. It also sounds like you're really working to get them to feel self-empowerment. Like they have some sort of manageability and agency with regards to the OCD. And I think that's, I think that's a really important piece. Um, Talk about the work that you do with the parents alongside uh, of the therapy with the kids. What are you doing with, with the parents in situations like this? You know, OCD, I always say, is a family affair. And so more than any other issue I've seen, OCD just hooks parents in because they are like the metaphorical sink. And so as a parent, we have to know what are we doing to be part of that OCD loop. And almost always, we are part of that loop in some way. So either we are providing that they're confessing something and then we're providing the reassurance that does the loop, or we're fixing their food in a certain way, or we're not rocking the boat. And so the work that I do with parents is one to educate them so they can educate their kids because we can't do these things to them. We have to do it with them. But then also what's our role? You know, what can we pull back? What things do we have control over? Because we may not have control over whether our kids do exposures or walk towards their discomfort, but we can pull back what we do to encourage that or to continue that loop. Yeah, it's a huge role in responsibility. And and the parent, it sounds like the parent has to be really committed to this process because it seems like it's a very involved, in-depth issue. And obviously, if the OCD doesn't get managed at a young age, it continues to get progressively worse, correct? It can. I mean, it's kind of like a little bit of pregnant to me. It's like if you have a little bit of OCD, it's like the earlier you can pull that weed out, the better. I don't want to wait and see if the whole backyard is going to turn into a sea of weeds. Um, but the the prognosis isn't good if I'm going to just leave that weed there. And what is the age range that you're seeing? Um, you know, I find in my practice, when I was practicing, I tended to get a lot of younger kids because I think I was like the only person who would take really little kids. And so... I got a lot more young kids, but when I look at my online community now, because, you know, there's thousands of people in there, they're all different ages. Um, I'm not seeing as many very, very young kids because it's getting missed, I think, until they're school-aged. And then at school age, they're like, whoa, we're having some issues. 
And so I think you see, you know, onset or, or some acknowledgement of an issue in elementary school. But in my practice, I would see toddlers with OCD type of behavior. It's so important that you mention it getting missed and going back to this idea that I think a lot of clinicians, even those who are skilled at working with children and adolescents, they, I think they think of OCD in that adult context. And I think that it does, especially considering what you're saying, it presents itself differently in kids. And I think a lot of clinicians um, and family members, parents, I, I think they'll, they'll mistake an OCD for anxiety. And I know that there's a lot of overlap there. But how would you say that, how could a, a therapist and a family really kind of tackle identifying this issue? It is hard to differentiate. And I think some people think OCD is just about control and like lining up their toys and really miss this other whole dynamic that's going on with OCD. Uh, And so I think referring them to, if you're seeing some compulsions and you're not an OCD therapist, referring them to a therapist who can use like the Cybox and use like an OCD assessment tool to really give that parent some reassurance. Um, But I also think it's a mindset shift too because you don't really want to process with OCD. So as a therapist, we really have to do our due diligence to at least educate ourselves on the OCD themes, the subtypes, and how it manifests in our our clients. Because if you process, let's just say you have a child who has harm OCD, and so they're having an intrusive thought that they want to harm their parent, and they're very disturbed by that thought, and their compulsion is maybe to confess, mom, I feel like I wanted to stab you. Or maybe they avoid the kitchen because they don't want the knives. Or maybe they sleep with their hands in fists so that they don't go grab a knife somewhere. And you're approaching it as a therapist as um, like a rational thought or fear. And you're looking at it as some harm. Um, And that can be dangerous because then you're going to process with that child, you know, like, well, what makes you angry with your parent? Or what can we do to keep you safe? And you're actually reinforcing the OCD because one, you're processing it, which can be mental compulsions because the mental compulsion is, do I want to hurt my parent or do I not? And so you're actually participating in that. And second, I've seen therapists who aren't experienced with OCD encourage compulsions. Um, let's hide all the knives. Um, let's, um, you know, maybe go inpatient. And you have to do a risk assessment to, you know, differentiate the diagnoses because obviously we don't want someone who has any kind of um, ideation, suicidal ideation or to harm other people. But we also don't want to treat it like that when it's not that. So I'm using that taboo one because I think that one's the most important. Yeah, that's really helpful. And so let's say then, because I think many clinicians would start to process that, right? Maybe even those who have some experience with adults with OCD, but maybe not as much as seeing it in kids. And let's say that comes up. Let's say the child says in a session, I want to harm my parents and the clinician's pretty confident that this is OCD related. You know, they do a homicidal ideation, you know, harm ideation assessment and they rule that out. And this is really an obsession, a mental obsession. At that point, what does the clinician do? Well, if they're not an OCD therapist, then they they should refer. If they're an OCD therapist. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Uh, with harm OCD, and it, it's this is again where it gets very counterintuitive, and maybe if you're not an OCD therapist, very uncomfortable is with with OCD. You, so with harm OCD or any other OCD, you're not going to process it, so you can't think your way out of it. You can't rationalize it, and so you're going to do ERP, 
which is exposure with response prevention, where you're going to actually trigger that intrusive thought that causes the distress, and then you're going to help the child sit with the discomfort. And so you teach them that, you know, OCD is going to give you an intrusive thought. And I'm taking, you know, harm OCD is a great example because it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It makes us all uncomfortable. It makes therapists uncomfortable. So it's a good one to pick because if we're doing hand washing, you know, we're all like, yeah, that's OCD. So I like this one um, because it makes us all uncomfortable. And I've had many, many kids with harm OCD. It's a super common subtype. It tends to go with moral OCD. I'm a bad person. I want to harm somebody or myself. Um, and we definitely do our due diligence of making sure that, you know, they are truly safe. A lot of times you can see that they're distressed and that, you know, that's also a key too. like, they're very uncomfortable and sad about having this thought. And so with the clients that I've had, um, you know, we start with that intrusive thought. So we might start with just sticky notes. Um, so you're provoking the thought because the compulsion would be to avoid. So when I have a thought, I might cancel it out. I love my mom. Every time I have a thought, I say, I love my mom. So I'm doing a mental compulsion or I might avoid. So, you know, mom, can you cut my food for me? So we're going to trigger the thought. So sticky notes around the house or texting. Um, hey, do you want to harm your mom? Um, is, um, are you thinking of hurting your mom? And you're, you're taking the thoughts that they're having. You're not creating these um, and not, not adding new ones. Or they might, I use the Yap app which, you know, is normally like positive thoughts that pop up on your iPad throughout the day. But you can use that as a tool where the intrusive thought pops up on the iPad throughout the day. So they're learning to sit with that discomfort. And then you make a hierarchy or a menu, depending on what kind of therapist or approach you like. Um, and you might start with whatever that child's, you know, able to do. And so you, we, we've worked with like plastic knives. I've had, you know, I had one child take plastic knives and she would throw them at me in, in session. And then we upped the ante where I would like role play. I'd be like, oh, why are you hurting me? It sounds very bizarre. <laughs> ERP can sound like a very bizarre uh, approach, but it is the gold standard approach for ther uh, for OCD. And it's incredibly powerful. It's amazing. Thank you. When you implement those strategies and you give those tools to the kids, they're probably already feeling really overwhelmed from what they're going through. And I know working with adults, trying to get them to implement certain tools, sometimes it'd be difficult for, to remind them of use this daily. How do you remind or get the kids to remind themselves? Like, do you have the parents help them of, you know, what your therapist said and use this when you're going through this? Or how do you get them to implement that on their own at home? Yeah, that is the biggest key. Um, the educational part helps with motivations, right? So they know, you know, like, uh, Mr. O wants me to avoid knives or Mr. O is giving me these thoughts. And so the more I give in to Mr. O um, and cancel them out or do this, and the, the bigger my OCD is going to grow. And so that piece is important, I think, for the intrinsic motivation. Um, but most kids don't care. But I do think it is an important piece to say, like with my kids, I'll say, if you don't do this, let's talk about how big this is going to look when you're in college or what is this going to look like when you're 20? That tends to not move the dial. But then I gamify it. And so when I was a therapist, we would, depend on their age, but we would do tickets. And so they would text me when they were doing exposures or I would text them a disturbing thing. And then they would have to like text me like a check mark. So I knew they read it or I would send them something that they visually had to look at. And so there was some sort of um, interaction where I could know that they're doing that. I tried to keep the parents out of it too much because I didn't want it to ruin the parent-child relationship. So I didn't want the parent to turn into the OCD police. 
I wanted them to babysit their behavior. Are you cutting their food for them? Are you, you know, allowing them to avoid the kitchen? And I'm just using the harm OCD as an example. Um, but some people would say, well, how am I going to motivate a 15 year old? And I would buy game box, like Xbox controllers and, you know, they would get tickets. And then once they hit the, I don't know, 40 ticket mark or the 50 ticket mark, they would earn the Xbox controller. Um, my daughter likes Starbucks. And so when she has anxiety and she was refusing to like get in the car to learn how to drive, I'd order Starbucks, you know, and I'd say it's there, it's waiting, you can go pick it up, you know, and so you can get creative with incentives, but incentives, I really do feel are, are key. Oh, that's great. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's, it's helping parents, it's guiding parents to find that balance where they're not overly involved in the treatment, right? That the actual skills and the techniques that the therapist is using with the child, but they're there to educate and to guide. And I think that that also makes OCD unique, whereas with other issues, there can be much more involvement parentally um, in some of those instances. So that makes a lot of sense. Is there anything you're seeing now that's more prevalent um, right now when you're online or anyone coming to you with certain, um, you know, obsessive compulsions or, or anything that's more common now? Uh, you know, I think with COVID, we're seeing a lot more inflammation. And so there's a spike in general. I, th I think people initially thought maybe there was a, a spike in OCD because of the germs, you know, which I'm sure that didn't help at all, right? Now everybody's looking like they have some germ-related OCD issues, you know, and the things that I am doing now were things that I would never have a client do before. Like that would be like diagnosable, like that would be concerning. But also I think the inflammation, and there's always been researched on the correlation between inflammation and OCD, and we're seeing an uptick in that as well. And so I feel like OCD therapists are being flooded right now and whether it's because of inflammation or because of, you know, the germ uptick, I'm sure neither of them help. Mm -hmm. And so I am seeing that. Plus you have a lot of people who have been isolated and that isolation has helped some. And now that, you know, they're trying to reintegrate, they, they're not being able to, it's harder. But I've also seen parents have had to homeschool and they've had to take care of their kids in the last two years. And so they're like, oh my gosh, wow, you have a big issue. So I think that's also been something that's been playing is that the parents have actually been spending more time with your kids. Even with my own kids, I'm like, wow, that is a major problem because I'm with them more. And so I think there's a lot of things at play. Yeah, and with that family piece, I mean, you mentioning, you know, alluding to the fact that OCD, you know, genetically could have a component and there also may be an environmental piece there. Do you ever find that you're working with kid when you would work with kids that you would also notice that, hey, this mom or this dad has an undiagnosed OCD condition themselves and, you know, they need help in order for them for there to be growth and well-being systemically in this family, in this family unit, mom and dad are going to need treatment as well. Do, do, did you ever encounter situations like that? Yeah, very often because, you know, that genetic seed doesn't fall far from that tree. And so... A lot of times they might be normalizing. I don't feel like, I don't feel like a child because a lot of times genetically the parent might have different compulsions than the child. And so sometimes there's a lot of guilt that parents have that they've like shown their child, you know, and their child has become OCD because of their own compulsions. But more often than not, I'll see they'll have their own themes, their own compulsions, completely separate. 
But the, the hard part is they'll normalize. So there are a couple of things that can happen. One, I've seen a family culture and dynamic of normalizing very dysfunctional behavior and beliefs because of their own OCD. So that makes it really hard as a clinician when you go in and you start to have the child sit with their discomfort and they're doing exposures and you're triggering the parent. And the parent is then becomes um, a barrier because they don't want their child to do those things. And so, yeah, treatment, it's never too late for treatment. And I, I feel like a lot of parents learn when their child is going through treatment that they do those things as well, or they have similar intrusive thoughts or that they did. And sometimes they want to back burner their issues because they want to focus on their child. But really the best way to help our kids in general about anything is to help ourselves. And that would role model good behavior for the child too. Oh, if mommy or daddy is doing this and and they're saying it's okay and they're taking accountability for, you know, their actions, then I can too. And I can, I can do this. And it's, it's not, I don't have to feel bad about myself. Yeah. And it's, so it's validating, normalizing, and it's a team effort. My kids call me on my social anxiety stuff all the time. Like, you know, we talk about like, there's like four other things in our house besides us, you know, it's like, cause they each have a name. And Mm so will encourage each other, but also, you know, kind of push each other. And that's good. That's good for the family culture. That's great. Yeah, and the family narrative, right? I, I, you know, in, nar- in narrative mm-hmm. therapy, they talk about the idea of externalizing the symptom. I mentioned that earlier. And I think that's mm-hmm. really a great way to do that for a kid or for a whole family. It's like, hey, there's this thing that we have that we're living with, but let's kind of put it over here and sort of differentiate our identity from this thing and name it and claim it and look at it and call it out. I, I think that's a really good family strategy. Yeah. And I think sometimes people worry about pathologizing or even using it as um, an excuse, you know, well, uh, you know, little Johnny's got OCD and, you know, Sarah's got anxiety. So we need to like do this for her anxiety and that for his OCD. And in my house and in the families that I've worked with online and, and in person, it's not, it's not that way. It's more of, we do hard things. We face our fears. We learn how to sit with discomfort and you can generalize that and you're creating resiliency in, in any life situation. And so it can be kind of a superpower. Do you have parents who like push more medication management or say, I want my child on medication. I'm not sure about doing the therapy first. Um, you know, how do, how do you address that? You know, unfortunately with OCD, you know, as opposed to anxiety, Medication is helpful, but it's not as um, the efficacy of medication isn't going to be the silver bullet. It's a component, and they've done research that has shown the combination of medication and ERP is highly effective, but one alone, um, ERP alone actually can change the brain. And so I always recommend starting with that because you can see physiological change, but sometimes kids are just in a place where they, they need the medication component too. But research has never said that medication alone is going to be enough. You have to build those skills. You have to go to the OCD gym. You're going to have to learn how to lift those weights. And medication won't do that for you. And of course, I think the behavior modification is super important, especially with the children. Yeah. That, the behavior modification, the, 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 the family systems component, the self-empowerment, you know, well, the wellness and strength-based perspective, it sounds like this is a really comprehensive approach that has to happen. Yeah, it can be very effective. Is there anything else you would want our listeners to know about childhood OCD that we haven't touched on? 
you know, I, I would say if you're in doubt, just research, get support. It doesn't always have to be going to a therapist. It's just read a book, learn about it. Um, knowledge is, is power. And once you have that knowledge, you'll, you'll be able to see things that you didn't before and approach things in an effective way. And so I think a lot of times people take the wait and see approach for OCD and, um, out of all issues, that is the the one I would not have a wait and see approach for. Okay, that makes sense. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking so much about this and um, bringing that awareness to our listeners. And we want to thank our listeners for taking the time to be present with us today. And until next time, have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Counseling Podcast with Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes. Please take this time to thank yourself for putting in the work. If this episode impacted you in any way, let us know with a loving and honest review. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation from today, you can reach out to us at thecounselingpodcast at gmail.com and we can answer your questions right here on the show. Or you can find Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes on Instagram at docjacqueline and at Dr. Jeremiah Stokes.